out that it was not very likely that the brown children would ever be beloved by everyone, or even anyone at all, especially by himself. However, he had even made up a tune to go with his hymn, and all the mothers and children in the class stood up to sing it. The brown children, however, who perhaps were not quite so kind and meek as they should have been, always sang whatever hymn they chose, and that was what finally won. For they simply sang away, never mind what music was being played or what the other people were singing, and there were so many of them that in the end everyone else gave up and joined in with them. So they now sang Onward Christian Soldiers at the tops of their voices, and this, I must say, did make it rather a bad start for Mr Privy and his little talk about living at peace with one's neighbour, especially, he thought to himself, if one's neighbour was the Browns. He embarked upon it at last, however, with a look towards them that suggested that he might profit by the lesson himself. The children gazed back at him with innocent faces, meanwhile keeping up a muffled underground hullabaloo, the boys playing a kind of soccer with their caps between the rows of chairs, the girls poking under the seats with their umbrellas at the legs of the people in front of them. Emma, Susie, Tim, behave! hissed Nanny, squelching angrily up and down the aisle with her boots full of water. Clemency stood up in her place. She said to Mr Privy in a very loud, clear voice, I can't hear what you're saying. Charlotte shot up in her place. Neither can I. Neither can we, cried all the brown children. Oh dear, that will never do. I'll try to speak louder, said Mr Privy. He proceeded on his discourse in a rousing bellow. We still can't hear, complained the children, bellowing back. Poor Mr Privy threw a great deal of expression into his words, twisting his poor face into knots in his effort to make himself understood. He looks like a mad horse, whispered Jennifer. All along the rows of seats, the children burst into muffled giggles, passing the message along. Arabella, Clarissa, Sebastian, hissed Nanny, dashing squelch squelch from one side of the aisle to the other. I said beehive. Why does she keep saying beehive, said Roger. Goodness, he added thoughtfully, suppose there was a swarm of bees. A swarm! Ow, ow, cried all the children immediately. A swarm of bees. Nanny says there's a swarm of bees. And they flapped their hands in front of their faces to drive away the imaginary bees. Bees, cried the lady in the front bench, turning round with an anxious look. Yes, bees. And excuse me, said Christiana politely, but you've got one too. You've got a bee in your bonnet. And she leaned forward and kindly tried to brush the bee off but she only succeeded in brushing off the bonnet and several bits of the lady's hair with it. Look out! Look out! cried the little ones helpfully in high, shrill voices. A bee will sting your bald head! The lady clapped back the bonnet, bits of hair and all, and holding it on with one hand, flapped wildly round the heads of her own children. Lucy, Thomas, Victoria, William, be careful. You'll get stung. The children next to Lucy and Thomas and Victoria and William began to flap too, passing on the alarming news. The brown children set up a steady humming. Bzzz, bzzz. 
Up on the platform, Mr. Privy, deafened to all the sound and confusion by his own attempt to shout loud enough, stopped at last and peered down over the tops of his glasses. His whole Sunday school seemed suddenly to have gone mad, rising up in their seats and dancing about in the most extraordinary fashion, waving their arms above their heads with looks of extreme terror on their poor, pale faces. Several of those dreadful... Those dear, sweet brown children, said Mr. Privet to himself, remembering just in time his own talk about loving your neighbour, had got hold of the little black velvet butterfly nets on the ends of long sticks, which were used in the church next door to collect the Sunday offerings, and were chasing up and down, swatting at the air with increasingly unbridled cries of, Missed it! and Got it! and rushing to the windows and shaking something out of the bags and dashing back for more. "'Got what?' cried poor Mr. Privy, peering this way and that. "'Bees!' cried the audience back to him. "'A plague of bees! The whole place is swarming with them. Take care, you'll get stung!' And they began to leap up and down more agitated than ever at the idea of their own dear vicar a prey to bees and to cry out to the children with the butterfly nets to rescue him. "'Rescue the vicar! Rescue Mr. Privy!' cried the brown children, delighted at the idea. With Pam and Simon in the lead, half a dozen of them crept up onto the platform. Simon took a great swipe. The velvet bag was not very strongly sewn on, for it came away quite easily from its ring and remained sitting on top of Mr. Privy's head like a little black nightcap. The ring, still on its long handle went on down round his neck. He said in a voice by no means filled with love for Simon, Get it off! The children hung on to their end of the handle and tried to get the ring off, but the ring wouldn't come. They pulled it this way and nearly flattened Mr. Privy's nose against his face. They pushed it that way and half lifted him off his feet by the ears, but it wouldn't come. Caro said at last, We shall have to get some soap. "'Soap!' choked the vicar. The metal ring had got lodged between his teeth now, like a horse's bit. "'To make your face more slidey,' explained Lindy kindly. So Christiana produced some soap from the vestry next door, and they soon had a fine lather all over Mr Privy's face. Snowflakes of it drifted about the room as he puffed and blew, struggling like anything to get away from their kind ministrations. They had to give up in the end— and leading him like an angry little bull at the end of a rigid halter, got him down from the platform and disappeared with him into the vestry. Muffled cries of, Ow! Ow! echoed through the hall, at first from Mr Privy, and then, I'm sorry to say, from the children. I don't think Mr Privy had profited one bit from his own lesson about loving everybody. After all, they were only trying to rescue him from the bees. Meanwhile, Podge Green and his friends had been waiting at the lich gate of the church, rather anxious, and beginning to wish they had not pulled the crocodile's tail quite so hard. "'We must arm ourselves with lots of snowballs,' said Podge, assuming the leadership, in a very important manner. It seemed a long time before the children came out of the church hall, and in fact it was.' 
The vicar, muttering urgently to himself that he must try to love his neighbour, even if it was one of the Browns, was standing in the doorway, shaking hands with all the mothers and children as they passed out, and speaking a kindly word. The brown children, eager to see how long he could keep this up, were filing by and immediately running round and rejoining the end of the queue. By the time he had shaken hands four times each with every one of them, and spoken a fourth kind word, he was, though much delighted at such a large attendance to his Sunday school, getting tired and rather cross. And so was Nanny who had to keep running round after her charges and getting her hand shaken and a kindly word time after time. But all she wanted to do was to chivy them all home and change into dry boots. Podge Green and his army stood beside their fine big heaps of snowballs. Here they come! This time Nanny was in the lead with the little ones trotting behind her, holding hands in angelic pairs. The first snowball took her bonk on the nose, and was followed by such a hail of snow that when she looked back, the babies had entirely disappeared, and there was only a long, white, writhing monster uttering muffled cries of, Let us out! So much occupied was she in dashing up and down, brushing the snow off the tops of their heads, that she did not see that Podgy's army was in full flight down the hill, pursued by the middling ones and the big ones of the Brown family. Podge Green's mother and father ran the sweet shop in the village, and Podge and his friends ate far too much biscuit and chocolate and were all very fat, though none was nearly as fat as Podge himself. Being so stout, they couldn't run very fast and soon fell over their own feet and went rolling off down the hill, gathering snow as they went, until they were nothing but huge round snowballs themselves, spinning at a great rate and ending up with a bonk against the wall at the bottom. But Podge was so fat that his head and feet were right up off the ground and he finished up like a sort of...